this team was the face of college basketball for an entire season. And what a face they were. They, uh, they electrified the sport. They were must-see TV, not just because of how they played, but how they interacted, how they spoke afterwards. Uh, as good as they were, and they were good enough that they ended the regular season number one in the country. All right. This is the Five Point Play Podcast, the diehard Duke basketball fans podcast. Post Labor Day, we are back. I hope everybody had wonderful summer vacations, but it is now time to start talking. Not college football, that's that's for other people. This is a Duke <laughs> basketball podcast. AC, welcome back. Let's do one thing before we get started. Let us put last season to bed, finally. I think we mm-hmm. should, you know, take one last podcast to cover what we figured were the five most intriguing stories of the 2018-2019 rock star Duke basketball team's uh, entire season uh, and kind of break them down. AC, have you gotten over last season yet? I think this is going to help. This is going to be cathartic. This is going to yeah. This is this is going to be the end of our season one for our podcast. We're going to start our season two kind of once Duke's Duke's regular season starts to amp up a little bit, and and this this will help. I think kind of finally put to bed some of the feelings that I've had about this team. We were able to look at some stats and see some some reasons why things happened. You know, what I mean, with with a team this good, it's just it was so mind blowing to have the year that we had, and then just see the way the year ended. You know, we still had some wins, still had some big wins, won the conference tournament, everything else like that. But, you know, th- this team was, this was a a team that we will put in the same conversation or similar conversations with the 99 team that should have won it all. We'll put them in very similar regard because of how they started the season, man. It was just, it was so amazing. Like, it, the, the potential for this team was so incredible. The guys that we saw, the seasons that some of these guys had. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm. I feel like I'm ready to look, to look on at, at the at the new crop that we have for this coming year. Yeah, and we, uh, when we were prepping for this podcast, we talked about you know a plethora of different topics that we could have gone with. This podcast, really, if we're talking about last year, it could have been three or four hours long, mm-hmm. uh, and we still miss a few things. You know, we're not going to talk on uh, the fact that you know we had you know three guys in the top ten. Uh, we're not going to talk about. Um, you know, a lot of the, the, the in-conference stuff. But, you know, we did break it down to what we thought were, you know, to us, the five most intriguing. We're going to go in chronological order. So we'll start off with a positive. Uh, <laughs> I still <laughs> remember that game like it was yesterday, the route of UK. Mm-hmm. I will be honest. Uh, I remember that, you know, whether we said it on the podcast or not, uh, I, I didn't predict a Duke win. Um, I thought that, you know, the, I bought into the the whole, you know, UK had more experience bullshit. And I, I said, yeah, you know, we got, you know, essentially, you know, an entire entire new team here, uh, freshman point guard. Uh, you know, we're not sure what kind of guy we're going to get. I know what we saw uh, in Canada, but now we have to integrate Cam Reddish back in. We haven't seen him yet. I didn't know what to expect. And then like, uh, Mike Tyson 
first round KO, <laughs> we just, I mean, we shook the entire college basketball landscape. Uh, not even just college, everything. Every, every, every bit of sports news covered this for a week as if it was the Super Bowl or the national championship or, you know, th- this was it. This was the game of the season. If, if everyone looked back at their rating shares, the ratings that every sports talk show and talking head show received off of the new, uh, off of this news was probably their highest rated all season. I, I can't imagine there was another, another game or another setup to a game, even that had the amount of ratings this, this thing generated. And, and you were right. Like, the biggest talk about it was UK's experience versus Duke's experience. And we broke it down a bit in our, in our first podcast. This was kind of the one that started everything off for us even. And, you know, it it looked like in some key spots, Kentucky had a little more experience and and guys who produced a little better than some of the Duke guys. But, you know, we, we did, we looked at it and quite honestly, we were like, eh, this was, this is a game we, we can, you know, we definitely can win. I just didn't think we're going to win 118 to 84. That was that was the most shocking part of the whole thing. Yeah, it, it was a route from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I if I remember correctly, we came out and nailed a three right out of the gate. Was that, mm-hmm. that Cam Reddish that nailed the first three? I'm pretty sure it was Cam of, of uh, all people. I, I, yeah, and I, I know that Trey uh, nailed one right after that. And yep. you know, kind of the route was on uh, defensively. We locked them up. Uh, the, the bounce pass after the block from Zion running court mm-hmm. to court to, to RJ for the end one. It's just, you know, I remember just thinking to myself, we are in for something special here. This, this, you know, this team has so many different interchangeable parts and they all mesh so well together. And they were ready for the moment. You know, we had heard so much talk uh, going into the preseason, uh, into that game. That was one of the most hyped uh, opening games ever, mm-hmm. uh, certainly in recent memory. Uh, and we came out, you know, Orange had 33, Zion had 28, Cam mm-hmm. Reddish had 22. We were 12 with 26 from three, shot 54% from uh, from the field. It was an absolute domination. And, you know, that's when you started hearing, you know, the, the, you know could this team go undefeated? Could this team <laughs> right. be the Cleveland Cavaliers? You know, you're hearing Jay Williams <laughs> say that they definitely can. Jalen Rose saying that, you know, Zion couldn't start uh, on the on their Fab Five team. You know, it's just both ends <laughs> of the spectrum of hot takes. And and from there, we were able to get, you know, a new segment on the podcast, Hot Take City. Mm-hmm, I mean, th- mm-hmm. that's the kind of team. That's, they, they were rock star status. You oh, know, yeah. That's, that's how the whole season uh, – it, it couldn't have worked out any better for ESPN after they did, um, you know, the entire preseason leading up to the first game, uh, the documentary. Mm-hmm. That was a that was a ESPN producer's lunch dream. It it couldn't have worked out any better for ESPN, and it couldn't have worked out any worse for for Duke, quite honestly. Because after that game, there's nothing to live up to after that. Like it's at that point, it's just go out and take care of business, which I think in some regards helped. But that game, statistically and everything else, was just so unlike the rest of the season, which was so weird. Even 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 though Duke was you know beating some good teams early on in the year they still weren't producing the way they produced in terms of the offensive efficiency numbers, uh, a 62% share on an offensive efficiency, which is incredible. Uh, the, the, the three point percentage that we put up 46% from three, which never happened again. You know, the, the rebounding, everything else that we did that game, 
and the lack of turnovers, all of that, it was just, it was unlike anything else the rest of the season. And it's so unfortunate that that's when it happened the first game of the year. And, and you hate that it happened that way. Even like I said, even though the rest of the season was by no means a disappointment in terms of how the guys played, it was a disappointment how we finished. And this game was really a testament to what this team, what this team could have been if some things went a little differently, but it was, it was still incredible. And it's still something that, Duke fans can hang their hat on. You remember where you were when you saw it. Love that game so much and we'll never forget it. It's just, it's a shame to have that game and then not have a bookend to the other end of the season. Yeah, and, and let's talk about a guy for our second topic uh, or a second piece story as we move through the season. A guy that did have a big night that night and kind of emerged. Uh, he played 30 minutes, Jack White. Mm-hmm. Uh, played 30 minutes in that game, had nine points, 11 rebounds. Uh we, we all know what happened in that Syracuse game. Uh, he went over 10, uh, all from three-point land. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the rest of the season, as we know, is essentially uh, negatively uh, is history for him. Uh, but leading up to that game, he played 15 games uh, before that Syracuse game. He was 22-57 and 57 from deep, which was good for a 38.6% three-point field goal percentage. By no means is that amazing, but I'm pretty sure – Sitting here right now, if we would have said, hey, half of our guys are going to shoot 38.6%, we would take that and run with it. Absolutely. Uh, that, you know, especially, you know, coming into the year, we had, we had, you know, Jack was named the captain. We kept hearing uh, about how much he was lighting it up in practice, how he, you know, set Duke records uh, mm-hmm. for some of the shooting drills. And, you know, he came out, and, and, and while he was one for five uh, against Kentucky from three, he was 4 of 8 overall. He didn't let that stop him. He made, I remember, a couple unbelievable hustle plays, um, yep. saving balls from out of bounds, get, getting us into transition, 11 rebounds. I mean, the guy was a man possessed. During the Texas Tech game, he was a key reason that we were able to withstand some of the awful shooting that we had in that game, and he had a huge three uh, to, to help us win that game. So, uh, you know, of course, we all remember him going 0 of 28 during that one stretch of the season. It really didn't get a whole lot better after that. He had a couple games where, you know, the, the first game after he broke the streak, he was 3 for 3, and then 2 for 5 after that. But that, then he didn't hit another 3 the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the Jack White thing to me, uh, and I know to a lot of Duke fans, is a huge story because you have to feel like, and not to put it all on him, you could really spin on a season in a number of different ways, but you have to think that if we had his reliable shooting that we had uh, in the first 15 games of the season, that you know we might not be having such a, a sour taste in our mouth uh, of how that season ended. No, absolutely, and especially to finish with against Michigan State in a game that was so close, having having six guys on the floor that can produce something for you on the offensive end is crucial. And and Jack was giving us he was giving us offense that no one truly expected early on in the season, but knew it was possible it was just a matter of was he going to fit that role was it going to work out for him and it really did everything he did on the floor allowed k to do what he wanted to do with the five out which was kind of the big story for for duke fans leading up to the season was you know coach k kind of famously coming out saying i'm the rest of my career here at duke i'm not running anything but the five out basically that's going to be our primary offense so you're wondering how that was going to work with Queese and some of the other recruits that we had coming forward. But with Jack, especially at that five spot, 
you kind of you kind of felt like wow this is kind of tailor made for him and can he carve out a role and he absolutely did and as you mentioned he absolutely if not saved a few games for us helped win a couple games for us and definitely put duke over the top in some of those those categories of hustle that separate two teams that are playing pretty evenly those are the things you want and need at the end of the season and those are the things we didn't have and that's kind of what ended up happening with this team but like you said, no, in no way, shape, or form is this an indictment on Jack White lost the season for us. It's just a matter of when you have to count on something or you start counting on something and then it's not there, that changes your your scope a little bit and it starts, you know, things feel a little faster. The game might feel a little faster. The game might feel a little more stressful, certain things like that. And that's Jack White was a very calming influence for this team for the early part of the season, and then that went away. Yeah, and, and speaking of feeling it for the team, uh, I know that we've talked about this on the podcast earlier in the season. The Syracuse game was kind of a huge turning point for this team. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked about God damn that, that game. <laughs> yeah, and, and unfortunately, your boy was there. Um, <laughs> and you know, we came out. We came out that game first couple of minutes and just were blowing the doors off of Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Cameron's in that trip, and then that brings us into our third topic: uh, Trey Jones and and everything that that went into Trey Jones' season. Kind of started at that Syracuse game when he. Ran into to diving for that loose ball, busting up his shoulder, going out. Uh, you could hear a pin drop in Cameron that night. And he's walking off. He's crying. Uh, you, you see the people running around, um, you know, to, to bring him in the locker room. Apparently he had heard uh, that week about his mom. So, so many things had, had gone into to the emotion of that night. And then for him to go down in the first three minutes, um, it just, it was a death blow to Duke. It, I'm not saying it led to Jack White missing uh, all 10 of his threes, uh, but it certainly, it did take the air out of the building. And, you know, you, when you lose your uh, floor general, when you when you lose your leader like that, it certainly is going to have an effect. But you kind of went into the numbers a little bit and mm-hmm. found that his usage drastically uh, changed after after that Syracuse game. A lot of his stats were still the same. He only had about 1.3 less assists per game. After the Syracuse game, uh, his usage went down early on. His usage went down uh, pretty significantly, but came back up because just, you know, he got more into the game flow and everything else. So the usage was about the same. His rebounding percentage actually went up towards the end of the season. He, he was he became a more active rebounder, which was was really awesome to see from that guard position. And his turnover rate was about the same. So, you know, he really was he was doing a lot of the same things. But I like one shares because it's one of the few stats where you can kind of look at how you can watch the game and then look at a stat and say, yeah, this makes sense. Win shares takes, takes something into account, which is when this guy is on the floor, what, what does the team do when he's on the floor? And Trey, the win shares for Trey went down from 4.6 prior to Syracuse to 1.6. So essentially what that means is Trey accounts for almost five wins on Duke's record prior to Syracuse. And after Syracuse, he only accounts for a two. And that's huge, especially you get into the one and done format of the tournament. Like that's that's you can't recover from that when you're one of your you're arguably your second or third most important guy on the team is accounting for that many wins for your team and then suddenly not accounting for those wins anymore. And and you can see it in how the how the game was run, how the offense was run, how RJ Barrett's usage went way, way up, how Zion's usage went way up. It, and those two, it, everybody says, and you can see it, they became a two-man team. They stopped running some of the sets that they were running. They weren't able to run the five out anymore because no one could shoot. 
Trey included. He hit he had three games all season total where he hit more than one three, which is you know th- that just can't happen from perimeter players anymore in this game. And that is that is it, man. That's the season. Like we talked, you talked about the Syracuse game. He had four steals in those first three minutes of the game. Four steals, and was on the verge of having probably ten because the way Syracuse turns the ball over. But then once that happened. The defense couldn't play the way they played anymore. We settled for those threes. We shot 43 threes that game. It it totally changed the way the team played. And and you could see it and the rest of the season played out that way. And it's really unfortunate. And something that gives me hope, really, honestly, for this upcoming season is that we know what Trey can do. He knows what he can do. And Kay knows what he can do. First half Trey is the Trey I think we'll see the entire season this time, regardless of what happens. And I think that speaks in in great positives for for Duke's season because the chances that he got and the volume that he got and the type of offense that we ran did not bode well for him at all where it forced him to stand outside to try to shoot threes and then you saw what happened with Taco Fall in that game against Central Florida and that was kind of like the that that was the thing that put a big spotlight on the season and on Trey's season was watching that happen and you, you you saw it right there and it was just really kind of hard to watch. Do you think that the injury played a huge factor in that? Or did you do you think that, you know, Kay didn't know how long he was going to be out. He switched it over, obviously, for the UVA game, mm-hmm. kind of ran it through Zion and RJ. Um, and after that, do you think he just said, you know what, I'm just going to run it through these two guys the, the rest of the way? Yeah, yeah I, think, I think a couple things happened. You, and you saw it in a few of the big games as well, I think. When, when Duke needed some buckets against Gonzaga or some of the other teams we played when we were kind of either tight or down, you, kind of, you would see Trey with the ball early on in the season, whereas even after, after the season progressed just before Syracuse, some of those games, RJ would start to get the ball a little bit more and go make a play or try to make a play for Zion, help out and those types of things. Zion actually honestly didn't get a lot of, a lot of touches in in-game situations or late-game situations. Uh, most of the season but what you started seeing was Trey just really not being he he was a standstill he was not being in being involved in the offense towards the end of the season there in crunch time and that's where you really have the difference and it became RJ having to fight through double and triple teams and Zion having to do the same thing when you have you know you have another capable ball handler in Trey and that was Absolutely, if Kay looks back at the season, he would absolutely say that is something that I wish I could have changed because it just it it really made no sense not to have your ball handler point guard top assist man not being the one setting things up for the team because taco that the taco fall thing was just it, that was an anomaly, but it was it showed what was happening, which was they were sagging off a tray significantly. But he was still able to make plays happen when that was happening to him in other games. UNC, for instance, uh, Syracuse number two, for instance. Uh, sorry, Syracuse in the uh, the conference tournament. I'm sorry, those games. So it was. Uh, I don't know. It was. It. Uh, it was. It's just so frustrating. It's so frustrating to have a point guard like that all season and then suddenly not have that same feeling with your point guard. Yeah, it was frustrating and. That that kind of sums up kind of sums up our season, uh, yeah. but trying to to switch gears to a uh, a higher note. Uh, one of the things that we said was one of the uh, the the biggest moments of our season was the Louisville uh, comeback. The Louisville comeback was unbelievable. We were dead in the woods. 
we were playing arguably our worst game of the season. Uh, Zion was off, Pam was off, RJ was off, uh, Trey was. We were we were all terrible. Uh, mm-hmm. We were down twenty three with about what ten minutes to go. Nine and minutes, thirteen seconds. There we go. And <laughs> I'm gonna let you take it, but we just went <laughs> off. And I guess my favorite play is the the, the rebound outlet from Trey to RJ mm-hmm. between the legs, about thirty seven feet behind the line, and just <laughs> absolute dagger from Cam. I still to this day think Cam she just only shot three from the NBA line. Yeah. Uh, clearly, that's where he was practicing from. But, hey, take our, our fans, our listeners, through the Louisville comeback. Yeah, and and by all means, please go back and listen to our uh, 11th podcast because that's the one where we uh, we really broke this thing down play-by-play play for that last nine minutes, and it was fantastic to go back and listen to that again. But it, it, was, it was horrendous and then amazing. Like it was, you, you went from feeling like total trash to feeling – on cloud nine after that game. And it was, it's, it, I've never, I don't know if I've ever experienced emotional swings like that. Maybe, maybe the miracle minute. That was about it. I think the miracle minute. And then this one, um, it, it was insane. We were down, as you mentioned, down 23 with nine thirteen left. And, you know, cam comes down, hits the three. They answer right back off, off that three that he hit. And then Duke just went nuts. It, Louisville couldn't hold on to the ball. First and foremost, they had they had 17 turnovers, and I believe of those 17, I think 11 of them came after that after that lead. Jordan Goldwire, I can't say enough. Even though that layup, and it, you know, it's so funny. This summer, we've we've seen it a few times on Instagram and things. Goldwire going up with these windmill dunks and stuff, but he missed the easiest bunny layup I've ever seen. Oh all and missed it horribly. Yeah, <laughs> like, that I'll tell you what. Dude. When that, I just was like you. That was in that was before the the actual right. real run started. It was like the last bad thing to happen, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and it came out there a great play that he made. Right. Uh, but then he misses the bunny, and it's like, dude, come on! <laughs> and you know, I understand you're missing three after three, but geez, almighty! So I've never seen anything Not so ugly in my life, yeah, man. Sorry, take, it, take it away. <laughs> that was that was awful. That was hideous, and. At, at that point, it, it was the it was the of, of all people again, Cam Reddish and Zion Williamson. So like Zion yeah. did his thing down the stretch, and and Cam hit some major major shots, major threes down the stretch. There, you mentioned your favorite play, my favorite play should be everyone's favorite play. The between the legs bounce pass set up set it up with a nice double pick screen off that bounce pass. It was amazing. I swear, I, t- I said it before and I said it again. I swear. In that moment, I don't know how he thought about doing that or why he even thought about doing that, but he set that up on purpose with that pass to be able to screen yeah, those two guys, and it looked pretty. And it, dude, that was that was the one. Like when that when that hit, I was I really seriously in that moment felt like nothing bad could happen to us the rest of the season. Like that was that was it for me. And and again, we talked about how big on the news Kentucky was. That one was almost at that same level for for the week of of sports how often they talked about that game and what they you know the the conversations that were generated from that game it was just yeah bananas yeah and i had to be up i, I still remember i had to be up at 5 30 for work the next day <laughs> and i don't think i went to sleep until about two thirty three. Yeah. um just watching every interview highlights after highlights i probably watched the game again the just 
and and I, I wouldn't say I watched the entire game. I just watched the last nine minutes and thirteen seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and watching the the reaction of the crowd just melt down every yeah. single time we made a big play. And, and you're right. Let's give credit to the defense that both Trey Jones and Goldwire put mm-hmm. on, and, and they were shook. They yeah. were nobody wanted to touch the ball for Louisville. Nope. No, they didn't. Uh, it was uh, it was such a light switch moment where you're just like, oh my God, this team is dominating the entire game and now nobody wants to touch the ball. Those yeah. are moments in sports where you know you have the guy on the ropes and you have to step on it mm-hmm. and, and give credit to that Duke team because they absolutely did. Um, that was, you know, look, you know, we didn't get the final prize that we wanted this year, but, you know, I'm going to go back and I'm going to watch a lot of those games because they were mm-hmm. so much fun to watch. Uh, and this was certainly this was certainly one of them, and, and probably um, you know one of our number one moments, and that's why we have it on our list. But the number one story, even if it's in chronological order or not, uh, it is. Yeah. Uh, it was the story of the year in college basketball, arguably one of the stories of the year uh, in, in all uh, in all sports, and that was Shoegate when Zion <laughs> went down in the first thirty seconds of the UNC game. Uh, Obama was sitting the course line, points at the shoe. Uh, you know, it was just one of those things uh, that they captivated the entire sports world. And, you know, unfortunately, as a Duke fan, uh, especially in that game, because it was such a huge game, there was so much riding on it, uh, both, uh, you know, ACC standings-wise, uh, tournament seeding-wise, player of the year contention, uh, there were just so many different aspects. Zion had been waiting for that game his entire life uh, to, to, to only last 30 seconds uh, pause. There was a lot there uh, to, to, to absorb. And, you know, that's another one. That's another one where you remember where you were sitting. Mm-hmm. You're so jacked up for the game. Then that happens and, you know, you start dipping the rest of the season. You know, I thought he tore a ligament in his knee. I didn't know what it was, just the way his knee bent back. Um, but it was clearly the, the story of the year. Uh, it was criminal. That was that's the only way I can describe that is criminal. It was uh, you, you already mentioned Obama was in the audience, Ken Griffey Jr. was in the audience. There was you know, there were so many celebrities in Cameron for that game. The the hype surrounding that game was insane. Everyone was standing in the stadium. They usually are, but it's just you know. You can usually see like the gaps where the tunnels and things were. There was nothing. There was no room anywhere inside of Cameron for anyone to stand. It was phenomenal. The tickets, feeling was phenomenal. The week game. leading tickets up. For that, tickets for that game were as much as the Super Bowl, if not more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is incredible, man, for a college game. That's it. A college game. Yes, it, yes, it is Duke UNC, but it's a college game. A college game in a stadium that holds 9,000 people insane like that's insanity man that's it's the stuff of legend and then for it to to die out 30 seconds later like that and then the fallout nike losing i i don't remember the share number that they lost after that game uh and in stock but the shares that they lost in stock insane the fact that they made started making custom shoes for zion is insane to think about the you know the the fact that that spilled into when zion was deciding after he turned pro, which shoe company he was going to sign with, they came back up. Like, oh, is he going to sign with Nike because he had the shoes that blew out? Or is, is it actually a plus for Nike because of how they flew the top representatives from Nike? Not, not, a couple of, not a couple of office guys, 
they flew the top representatives from Nike into Durham that night to check yep. on Zion, talk to him and Coach K about everything, talk to the program about everything, and, and try to move forward from this disaster, which is exactly what it was. He was fine physically, uh, but they weren't going to let him back out on the court until whatever mm-hmm. prototypes that they were specifically making for him were ready to go and tested. And mm-hmm. that took, that took unfortunately, took six games, uh, well, including the UNC game, so five games outside of that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, two of which we lost. So right. you know, think about the, our season. If, if, if he doesn't, you know, have the shoe blow out, it, you know, it's just one of those things. You know, one of those things as a sports fan where it's the what if. It's the what ifs are the worst thing for, for a sports fan. What if this thing happened? What if he had made this? What if that ball goes in? Like, yeah. That was something, I just can't, I don't know. I have no words for it. None. None at all, man. It's, and if if we look back at it, do you know, did, did that, did that event create Michigan State? I don't, I don't know that it did, but what it did do, it, it just, it made things harder. It made things harder for everyone, especially the yeah. way the team was trending. And a lot of times in situations like that, you'll see a Coach K team kind of rise to the occasion where all of a sudden something is discovered or rediscovered after an injury like that, a la, you know, Boozer with the 01 team. And in this case, it didn't. And it didn't happen at all. We lost two games. If anything, RJ, I think fans appreciated RJ a little more than prior to that game, but that's kind of all that did. And then back into the tournament, fans didn't like him again. You know, that's kind of how it goes. But it, it just it, – it didn't – it didn't help the team at all. It's one of those things that didn't help the team. It was a huge story. And you know, that, that is that is this season in a nutshell. The, the amount of stories and big and bizarre stories that this season had for this team was just, I've never seen anything like it in, in sports, period. Any sport. I've never seen so many storylines. Every week, Duke was dominating every show. Every show. Every talking every point. Headline. All of it. And I've never, I've never have seen anything like that. I've never seen anything like that with the Patriots. I've never seen anything like that with the Cowboys. Like with, with, with these teams like that, when things are going right for them, they're just going right. And all the, all the conversations are about how awesome this team is. This team had to talk about how awesome they were, how overrated they were, how underrated some of the guys were and how they underrated they were at times, how, you know, how they couldn't shoot, how, but they could do, this how they could run and fast break then all of a sudden they weren't fast breaking anymore how you know the shoe gate everything we went over in this in this podcast today like it's dude it was i've never had so <laughs> i've never had so many storylines around one team and just so many feelings associated with one squad and quite honestly it was amazing to go through and it's the re- one of the reasons we have the podcast now and i love it to death and you know i hope next season is a little less tumultuous but i, I, did, I did love everything around this team this year, man. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was a roller coaster ride, but it, it was more ups than downs. And, you know, give credit to, to that team for, you know, after their best player, our best player, one of our best players in our, in our luxurious history, uh, goes down in the way he went down, uh, in the game that he went down, at the time he went down, after coming off of back-to-back wings of UVA uh, in the week prior to that. Uh, you know, people forget that we beat UVA at home, then we beat them on the road mm-hmm. to Zion Block and Andre Hunter uh, to come back and win against Louisville, blowing out mm-hmm. NC State right before UNC, then that happens, and then having to 
figure it all out. Then Zion comes back for the ACC tournament. Uh, you know, putting up an unreal game against Syracuse. Uh, the, the back and forth against Carolina for the third time, getting that W, beating uh, FSU and, and winning the ACC championship to everybody picking us to, to go to the Final Four and win it all. Uh, it was a wild ride. Uh, but you know what? After this podcast, it's behind us, and we're looking to, mm-hmm. to the next play, AC. Next mm-hmm. play, go Duke. Go Duke. <laughs>